everyone, and welcome to Agency Nation Radio. I am joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Marty Agather. Howdy, gang. And today we have a show. We're going to pack this show full of a lot of good stuff. And uh, I have actually a question from an agent that was emailed to me uh, through Agency Nation, which uh, anyone listening to this show, you, you always have the option of emailing us and getting your questions answered. That's what we're here for. What we do all day besides generating thousands upon thousands of leads for independent insurance agencies like you, cheap plug, trustedchoice.com, and uh, is, is just help independent insurance agents do this stuff, do digital marketing. So I got a great question from an agent that came in through our inbox, and uh, we're going to answer that because I think uh, if he has it, I'm sure many more of you have it, and I think it's a very valuable question. So we're going to get into that. And Marty actually doesn't know what it is, so it'll be fun to, to get his off-the-cuff opinion uh, but mostly what we're going to do is run down, uh, we're going to run through an, an article that I found on Insurance Journal, and it's actually uh, Progressive Insurance's CEO, Glenn Renwick, uh, he did an interview in which he explained five macro trends, five trends that are guiding the way Progressive Insurance uh, makes decisions about their business. And I think that, I really think on many of them, he is right on the button uh, and as he actually explains in the article, and, and we'll have a link in the show notes. So if you're listening to this, uh, go to agencynation.com uh, forward slash podcast. This is episode number nine. So you'll find episode number nine. You can, you'll be able to find, uh, I'll have a link in the show notes to this article. But uh, he actually notes in the article that he, the, their business, Progressive Insurance, isn't all the way dialed in on these things. But they are... The, some of the guiding trends that are going to help them make decisions moving forward in the future. And I think that's um, I think that's really important way to look at it. I think that we tend, and, and Marty, I'm, I'm going to open this up for your opinion uh, in a second here. Um, I think we tend to be a very reactionary industry, and, and it's just the nature of who we are. That's not necessarily, uh, it's not an indictment one way or another. I think it's just an observation. I think it's a, a, a probably something everyone would agree on, that we are, we react to things. And it was, it was, this article made me kind of excited to see that one of our independent insurance agency carriers is actually taking a proactive view, is looking into the future and guiding their business on things that aren't just kind of actuarially uh, defined. They're, they're looking at the way consumers interact with the world and trying to develop their business around that. So, Marty, you know, let's get, you know, before we kind of dive into the article itself, um, I'd love to get your thoughts around that point. Sure. Uh, I think that one of the things that uh, is interesting about our industry is that we are extraordinarily detail-oriented. We have to be. You know, we're professionals. We're dealing in a very complicated subject. Every customer has a different set of needs and a different set of exposures. So I think that one of the challenges that this uh, that this industry faces is that we spend too much of our time heads down at our desks doing that critical work that needs to be done, whether it's, you know, on the sales side, doing, putting the proposals together, if it's on the uh, carrier side, doing the underwriting or the, the claims adjudication or rate making, right? All of those things are vital to what we do, but, the, but we spend too, far too little time, as you said, Ryan, with our heads up, eyes on a swivel, trying to determine what's around the bend that's going to dramatically impact us. And, and of course, I, you know, I, I've got way more thoughts than we want to get into here because obviously we've got a topic for our, uh, for our podcast laid out. But I, I, would, I would suggest that uh, our industry is facing some, some challenges. You and I have both ri- written on this on, on the uh, blog side of Agency Nation. There will be more articles to come on this. Um, I think it's critical that – Agency leadership and carrier leadership are looking to the future, but more importantly, not only taking a leadership role for their own organizations, but thinking about how their actions impact the whole, which is the IA channel, and how we can work more effectively together to address some of these really big problems. Yeah, you know, what I, what I took, my, my huge takeaway from this, and we're going to dial into each one of these trends in just a second because I think there's some really interesting things to take away from each one, but the larger picture that I took away from this article was that uh, Progressive, instead of trying to dictate to their customers 
how business will be done and how you'll interact with them. They're, they, they essentially have put themselves aside. They've kind of taken their own ego out of the equation, at least in terms of what's written in this article. They've taken their own ego out of the equation and said, we're going to allow the customer to dictate to us how we should interact with them. And in that way, we will become, um, we will become a better partner of theirs. And they'll be less likely to want to shop their insurance or want to look for other options because we'll have fit into their life instead of trying to make them fit us into theirs. And that to me is an incredibly powerful distinction. It's something that I talk about in all my presentations when I'm sitting in front of agencies. I think at a, at a micro level, agencies can do the same thing. Now, maybe not with the, the flash and pizzazz that a, that a, a large carrier like Pro- Progressive Insurance could do, but I do think that fitting ourselves into their life versus making them fit us into theirs is, uh, is, is a really powerful distinction. So let's get into, let's get into some of these trends. So the very first thing, and you know, this one might be a little loaded, it might be a little loaded based on, um, snapshot, but the very first trend is, uh, what, uh, Mr. Renwick calls, I don't know why I just called him Mr. Renwick. Like he was like one of my teachers. Why Glenn Renwick, <laughs> what, Professor Renwick, no, uh, why, um, why the CEO here, uh, Glenn Renwick, he says casual versus correlated data. And that's his, causal. That's causal. 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 I knew it was causal, and I called it casual. Um, we're not going to edit that out because then you can tell that I also can't read. That's why I'm a marketer. Uh, so causal versus correlated data, and his point here is instead of taking uh, generic demographic information like age, gender, and location, dialing and, and kind of applying that to a subset or a group, kind of the common practice, uh, looking at people's, looking at individual driving performance as a way to dictate cost of insurance. And this has to do with their snapshot plugin, uh, but I'd love to get your thoughts on, on where this is going. Certainly. So the first thing, you know, the, Historically, the way we've underwritten is um, by using large classes because we never know in the past we didn't have the ability to know how the individual performed. So we said you per- you um, belong to a large class. We've got statistics about that large class. So from that large class, we can draw inferences about how your loss experience will be. And so uh, another word for that for that uh, correlated or correlational data is proxy data, data that gets close to who you are, but it isn't really who you are, all right? So as as uh, Ryan was saying, it's all the stuff we know, you know, what's your age, what's your gender. Um, by far the most valuable indicator, uh, cor- correlational data indicator of uh, how your future performance would be was your driving record. Do you have tickets? Do you have accidents? And of course, we all know that if you have those things, your price goes up. So um, compare and contrast that now to what's available today. Okay, so uh, Progressive has this device. You plug it into your into your uh, car, and it and it tracks your behavior. Uh, we had the opportunity, uh, Ryan and I, to talk with Kevin Ament from progressive on this uh, a couple of months ago. And in his presentation, he indicated that... At Brand Camp in St. Louis, uh, run by the Artrike Group, Peter Van Artrike, Rick Morgan. Very well done. Yeah. And if you've never been to a brand camp, you need to get there. So, but that's a, that's another pitch. I had to give them a plug. They're good friends and a fantastic event. Yeah. So, um, but what Kevin said is, is uh, that, that... individual driver behavior so the number one uh the number one correlational data that until now that progressive had on what your potential loss exposure was was your driving record today um version one of their driver algorithm that says how fast do you brake, how fast do you accelerate yada 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 all the stuff that they're capturing off of um that uh, device in your car, that that uh, that data is a hundred and fifty percent more accurate than driver record. Okay, that's version one. 
Then he showed us a graph that showed us uh, version two of the snapshot algorithm. While he didn't just tell us it's precisely how much better it was, it was by size about two times better than the current version one algorithm. So there's clearly a lot of data there. But what Renwick says in this article is that they're working to the day where you don't even have to plug a device into the car. It, it appears, he didn't say this 100%, sounds like they're in discussions with OnStar, because obviously OnStar gets that data. Um, but there are other devices. Think about uh, Mr. Google in your pocket, right? That thing knows where you are 100% of the time. And at some point, my guts tell me that Google will make that, that data available to uh, insurers. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. And I, I think that this is something the agency to keep their eyes on. I know uh, that the snapshot plugin has been, you know, some agencies in some parts of the country have adopted it. Others have just kind of let it fall away and, and not really shown much interest in it. Uh, I know we pushed it for a little while, and then I don't, I don't think that we push it as hard. Or, or my old agency, I, I say we because my wife obviously is, is an owner at the agency, so I'm, I feel like every day I'm involved in it. Um, but uh, I know they don't push it as hard. Uh, but I, I do think that this type of thing is, is going to play a large role, uh, especially as we transition to one of his later points. And I'm just going to jump there because, um, because it kind of fits our conversation a little better. He talks about uh, you know, vehicle technology and as vehicle technology adapts and changes and, um, and, and takes on, you know, become, these cars become smarter and uh, more self-driven, we'll say, um, and just just braking controls and accident prevention and all this kind of stuff, uh, you know that all these technologies are going to start to 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 mash together. So maybe talk a little bit about um, uh, what uh, you know the Glenn Renwick here. I keep wanting to call him Mr. Renwick for some reason. Um, uh, talked about when he was when he was uh, talking about vehicle technology. Sure. I <laughs> The funniest, the funniest quote, and these are these are not my words; these are his words. But he said, "People are the quality defect." <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I think that that, unfortunately, in in many instances, is true. You know, the cars keep getting safer. We see it year year over year. Um, the number of accidents uh, goes down, but the severity increases. Um, you know. It costs more to fix these expensive cars. Let's talk about it. It probably, you know, and I, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but I'm guessing that uh, as our confidence goes up because the um, frequency of our own experience with accidents go up, we might drive a little more aggressively. Not that I would ever do anything like that, but um, I know my friend like Ryan does. Uh, so, <laughs> so you know, that's so, so that so this technology, who knows what's coming around the corner, right? Um he, he talked about this uh, traction control and how they thought that was going to be a huge benefit for all vehicles. But statistics show that the best place the traction control is helping is in SUVs because they have fewer rollover uh, incidents yep. with traction control. And young and so drivers, too. That's exactly right. Because of the so braking. Says you, you, marry, you marry up an SUV driving new driver with traction control. The and electronic all of traction a sudden, control. That's exactly yep. right. Now all of a sudden you've got a much safer combination than you could have ever predicted just given what the technology was. So he said that, you know, they keep a close eye on it. They're always watching to see how to leverage that technology and, and, and what that might mean for future products. Clearly uh, autonomous cars are coming. So cars that you can get in and drive, you know, everybody says, well, I wouldn't want that because, you know, this, that, and the next thing. Um, and this is probably a whole other topic, Ryan, but one of the things I, I read that I thought was fantastic is think about what it could do to a two-car family. I get in the car. I want to drive. I, I like to drive. I'm going to drive myself to work. But as soon as I get into work, I push the home button, shut the door, and the car drives itself back to the garage where it's now available for my wife to take to work. And she pushes the home button and it goes, sits in my garage until at 5 o'clock, it automatically drives and comes and picks me up. And then I drive it home. So you think about those kind of things. There's huge changes that this technology is going to, um, going to bring to our industry. And we just, 
we got to be paying attention. Yeah. I, I do want to go back to your point about uh, selling the um, the specifically the progressive product, but a number of carriers have have this product now the that uh, rewards drivers for um, rewards drivers for their behavior. There's a very powerful consumer focused message there. And and you see it if you if you watch the progressive progressive's got a new commercial out called the rate suckers yep. where people are laying on the cars, right? The message that we're going to charge you the rate that you have earned because you're a good driver rather than an average rate that all those other bad drivers cause you to pay more, that's a hugely powerful message. And I think every agency out there could use that message to sell these kind of products. You know, and I, this, is, this is off topic a little, but I do think that as, as agents, we could look into some of the messages. Now, I, I, I'll say this as a, I'll put my, my marketing hat on. There are a lot of carriers that just have a horrifying horrifying marketing message. It may sound good to them, and I'm sure when it's a bunch of people sitting in a room, a boardroom, and they all have C in their title, it sounds good and it makes them all feel comfortable, but it's terrible for actually growing their business. And in some cases, probably detrimental to growing their business. But there are carriers and there are certain programs within certain carriers that are really powerful messages. And I think that this rate sucker one, I think that I agree. When I saw that, I was like, that that resonated with me and I kind of get the game, right? I mean, um, that resonated with me. I said, that, that makes sense to me that why would I be, you know, I have a, you know, I've said this before, I haven't had an accident in years. I haven't had a ticket in years. Um, I drive a pretty safe car. I, for all intents and purposes, as a driver, I'm a fairly boring guy, um, which is a good thing. So shouldn't I be paying less? But because I live in a, uh, a, a fairly urban area on the East coast, blah, blah, blah. I have to pay more for my car insurance. And, um, you know, I think, I, I definitely think that there's a message there. So if we can look into uh, the message that our carriers are distributing and find the ones that we really think would resonate with our consumer base, I think it could help us amplify our own marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's move on to another one of these. We got three more and we've already used up quite a bit of time, but uh, um Oh, this is a quick side note. So Marty and I got into a big debate over the driverless car thing and if or, – or the driverless car. Yeah, so basically the self-driving car. And Marty said, I like to drive. And I said, yeah, but if, if you went five years of having these self-driving cars, you would that would probably change because you'd be like, what I really like to do is watch the Bassmaster Classic while I drive, right? Like that's that, – you know, or the walleye championships of northern Minnesota – and, you know, so I think that that culturally could change, but the idea of, um, I, so I said, I have no problem if someone, I actually like to live a VIP lifestyle. So if, if my car wanted to drive me to work, I'd be completely cool with that. And, but I would be very uncomfortable if there were other drive. So like if I had human in a car driving himself and me in my self-driving car, that would make me nervous. And I actually ran it past my father-in-law the other day, and he was like, I'd rock a driverless car. So it's just you, Marty. You're the only one. <laughs> well, You're yes, going to be that Yahoo my- weaving in and out of the, all the self-driving cars with <laughs> exactly. his gas-guzzling I- six-mile-an-hour hot rod. Tr- tr- truth, be, truth be told, I will be the last person that buys um, any insurance product that rates me on my drive. <laughs> Yes. They're going to go, why were you going 90? And then 15, 10 seconds later. (laughs) (laughs) And then 90 again. Um, And we see that you like triple lane changes. Uh, So let's move on to our our third point. Remember, people don't like the banter. Uh, So uh, let's move on to his. So his third point that he made in this article, and I think to me, this, this is probably the the first two are nice, and I want to get those out of the way. This one, to me, is by far the most, the most powerful, or, or the second most powerful. The next one is pretty powerful, too. And this is the idea of the digital response of consumer. And I, and I want to uh, just read a little bit from here. Half of Progressive's premium payments are now coming through mobile devices. 
But, and then here's where his quote comes in. I'm pretty certain that we never told anybody that you could pay by a mobile device. So think about that for a second. Half, half of all the premium payments that come into progressive insurance come through a mobile device, yet they have never marketed the fact that you can actually pay your bill on a mobile device. That's incredibly powerful. If you're not getting what what I'm saying here, that means that the consumer's natural instinct is to use their cell phone to pay their premium. So if you do not have the ability to take a premium payment through a mobile device, you are causing friction with your clients and creating opportunities for them to go shop to somebody else. That, that is, to me, the, the takeaway, maybe the second most powerful takeaway in this entire article is that it, where we create friction points, if we don't listen to our client base, if we, we are creating friction points in the process, and those friction points are the reason people shop. Not because they're quote-unquote shoppers. People shop because they don't like what they're getting. If someone likes what they're getting, they stay there. It is not fun to switch your insurance. So people only switch, only shop when something is causing them pain or friction. And what I think is great about this quote is that when he says, we never market it, it's just what people did. And now they're actually starting to move. And he said, you know, we're still relatively... He uses the word embryonic, so they're still very it's, – it's very early stages of the mobile experience, but uh, already seeing huge returns. I mean, to get half your payments through, through that platform is incredible to me. You're absolutely right. I mean, this, this whole concept of catering to or even just being available the way the customer expects you to be available is huge. And and the fact is, you know, this has been one of my, you know, soapboxes for a long time. We somehow think that because we have this very complicated business that, you know, does does work the old way, that the consumers understand that and they're willing to put up with it. I got news for you. Consumers do business the way consumers do business. And if we don't match that, they... They don't think, oh, it's because your business is complicated. They think it's because you guys don't get it, and I need to find somebody who does. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. So, so I, I so think. I wanna, go ahead. I, there's go ahead, a couple more things in in that that I wanted to talk about, and I've got some some internal stats that I'm going to share too. So one of the one of the points he makes is that he says now in um, in the U.S., a third of all internet usage is coming from mobile devices. Okay, what we have seen at trustedchoice.com is people who are looking to connect with an agency, 32% of our traffic is coming from a mobile device. And Google Compare says that 55% of their traffic is coming from mobile devices. Okay? Um, There's a study out by Bain & Company that says worldwide 11% of insurance customers interact 100% with their insurer digitally. There is no verbal interaction. There is, it's all digital. So this point of being digitally responsive isn't a kind of, maybe we should think about it. It's a must have. Uh, That same Bain report says that they're expecting that to be over 25% in five years. A quarter of customers only want to deal with their insurance in a digital fashion, and most of that is going to be via mobile device. So, Marty, let me jump in on this real quick because I think uh, – and I'm going, to, I'm going to point this question back to you because I think if I'm sitting here and I'm listening to this and I'm an agent, I'm going, I get how progressive insurance can create a 100% digital experience for their customers. How does the Jones-Smith agency – of North Florida create, and excuse me if there is actually a Jones Smith agency of North Florida, um, you're getting props right now, uh, how do they create uh, this, this digital experience for their consumers when you're single location, 15 person, you know, doing your thing and, and you're trying, but how do you get there? How do you, what are some things that maybe uh, uh, an actual agency could do to start to create this? I know that 
I, I know that there are issues, and one of those major issues is that if you have 30 carriers, they all want to have their proprietary thing, so you essentially have 30 different funnels that you have to work through. But are there ways to, to create this today or at least get started on it? Sure, and, and it's a great question, and you know, unfortunately, it's also a great challenge. Um, as you say, you know, one of our strongest points is the independent channel is the fact that we have lots of business partners. Um, both carriers and agencies have lots of business partners. And the challenge is that on both sides of that equation, there are carriers who are um, technology literate and there are laggards. And there are agencies that are technology literate and there are agencies that are laggards. So it's, it's difficult for both sides of that equation. Um, but what I would say that, that an agency could do is there are um, a handful of really what I would call sort of good mobile applications that are out there. One um, uh, produced by some friends of ours, uh, Blue Eye. That's a, that's a great little app. It's not much of a service app today, um, although they're working on that. It's, it's more of a communications thing. But, but just showing that you're in the game to me is a huge piece, and that is not an expensive uh, technology to procure. There is another that You can out. find that. Sorry, Marty, just to jump in. If you're interested in more on that, go to the, the URL is go, G-O, insuranceagent.com. Go, insuranceagent.com will take you to the site, and you can learn more about that app and uh, – we have lots of agents that are good friends of ours inside the, the trustedchoice.com family, and, and we have no interest in this business, but uh, we have lots of agents we know that use it, and, and they're enjoying it. So it's definitely something to check yeah. out. Yeah, and so I'm just going to you know jump right out there. Um, Ryan and I see and talk to a lot of people, and um, we get to review a lot of products. And if we see a good product, we're going to tell you about it, all right? So uh, you shouldn't be uh, thinking all the time, well, what's the, what's the connection here? There are, there are times when, we'll ha- when we will have you know, a relationship and we will disclose what that's going on, right? But many times it's just, hey, this is a cool product and we've heard good things about it, so let's get out there and you know, check it out for your agency. Yeah, go insuranceagent.com if you want to learn more. Yeah. So the, the next thing I would suggest is um, there are a number of products. Some come uh, native in your management system, some are add-on products. Uh, the, you know, the, the one that's been out there for uh, ever is CSR24. But if you can add something to your management system that allows uh, a consumer to access their uh, data via your management system through the Internet, that's a great thing to do, too. Again, um, does it solve the problem of carrier A does it this way and carrier B does it that way? No, it doesn't but it at least gives your customers visibility into their own accounts, which is what they want to do, right? Because if they've got a question at 11 o'clock at night, the last thing they're going to do is dial your cell phone number. If you, can get, if you give them the ability to go in, they'll go in and do it. I mean, think about your own behavior. I want information whatever time I'm going to find it online. That's the way I am. That's the way everybody's turning to be. So um, the last thing I would suggest is, and, and this might be a little controversial, but uh, you have to think about your partners. And if you've got partners that technologically aren't willing to continue to invest to do the right thing for customers, then I think that relationship needs to be looked at very closely. And I'm talking about both sides of the equation because many times what we hear from carriers is, well, we can't make these changes because our agents don't adopt them. Well, then what I say is that's not a reason to not do the change. That's a reason to find new agents to represent your products and vice versa. If you've got a great carrier in your, in your shop, but they're not cutting it uh, digitally, then you need to encourage them because they value your relationship. But at some point, you got to say, you know what? You're impacting my ability to service my customers. So I'm going to start placing some of the business that I used to place with you. I'm going to place it with other people. You know, Marty, I think, uh, and, and that is a relatively controversial thing, and, I, and I'm, and I'm glad, glad you brought it up, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because I think, and this is something that I've pushed a lot, and I've used this terminology in a lot of my presentations over the years, um, we, and I've gotten pushback from it. I believe that for a long time, we were an industry of technicians. Carriers were incredibly good at the actuarial side of their business. Agents were incredibly good at the sales and service side and the, and the coverage side of the business. 
and they, but they were technicians, right? That's what they did. They didn't do, they didn't run a business. They were incredibly good at insurance. I think that we have hit an age where when consumers have now been given all this power, that we have to open our minds up and think more of what we're doing as a business and less as a technician. And, um, you know, I can say that at my former agency, at my wife's agency, uh, they had a, they took a very long look at a carrier that they had had for a very long time because up until about a year and a half ago, they still made them fax in uh, applications to get a quote. A year and a half ago. So, you know, they, they were basically saying, we can't turn our business, we can't work in today's environment when we still have to hand fill out or print out of the system and then fax and wait and then get back another fax with a, with a price on it. I mean, that's ludicrous, really. And, um, and they took a good hard look and then thankfully this carrier, because it was a carrier that they'd had for a long time and, and did have a very good relationship with and, and all other aspects of their business was a high quality partner, except for the fact that it, you know, it was starting to drag on their business. And they, st- they started to put less and less business with this carrier because it was such a drag to do business with them. And I think that uh, as a, you know, if that had continued, they probably would have had to make a business decision to, to, to sever that relationship and move that book of business. And I think on both sides of the equation, and again, I'm marketing guy for TrustedTrace.com. I'm not sitting in your chair as agency principal or in your chair as carrier CEO. So take this for, for what it is, right? But as, a, as an outsider looking at this relationship and having lived it for nine years, I can say that um, we, are, we have been an industry of technicians and the people who I really see succeeding, the agents that we bump into at the national conference that we'll bump into hundreds of them in New Orleans in a few weeks, those agents are business people first and foremost. They are businessmen and women first, insurance technicians second, and they make the really hard decisions that come along with that that ultimately move their business forward. And um, I don't want to tell anyone how to run their business. I, I, I've gotten out of the business of telling insurance agents how do they run their business. That is an observation from a third party, but I think that if we took a long, hungered look at it, um, you know, there, there might be some validity there. I'm going to encapsulate what you just said in a couple of words. Pun intended, it was a drag. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's move on to, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tie the next two pieces together because one we're kind of running long on time, and two I think they kind of work together, uh, and they are the the last uh, the last two uh, macro trends that Glenn Renwick discusses are brand and time as a design criteria, and I'll tell you what I mean by that is uh, or why these two work together, and then we'll kind of dive into them just a little bit. Um, and we'll we'll keep our we'll keep our our thoughts concise on this because we've gone long on a few of the the initial ones. Um, I think the very the very the way the brand section of this article starts, I think it holds the entire idea of um, of of what we're trying to say here. He says, you know, Glenn says uh, one of the things that I tend to suggest is that companies don't own their brand as much as the consumer has the perception of that brand. All we get to do is give lots of clues so that the consumer can actually formulate that perception. And his basis to back that up is that in 2014, Progressive did a survey, and that survey came back with consumers uh, checking across the board that Progressive was a homeowner's insurance company. And anybody that writes Progressive knows that Progressive does not write homeowner's insurance. So here you go. You know, you're, you're, you're sitting in the progressive offices and you don't realize that people are judging you as a homeowner's insurance company and you don't even write the product. So, and, and that's, that's based on a marketing budget that, you know, is probably a rounding error of a billion dollars. Yeah. Big, very, very big. I mean, so, so this is, so if progressive can't completely as and as as uh, as as, uh, as Renwick says here, if if they can't completely own and control their brand, how do any of the other carriers? I mean, no no one else who's listening to this works for a carrier. You can't own your brand. You can 
as, as he says, give clues, give tips, give pushes to what the brand is. But, you know, I, so let's dial this back. Why is Geico's message so simple? 15 minutes can save you 15% or less. Why is it so simple and why is it never changed? Because unless you bang people over the head with a message a million times, they're never going to remember it. So, so that's the reason why they haven't had 50 million campaigns. And that's why they've had to keep their campaign going constantly in every platform over and over and over for years and years is because this is the only way that you get that you're able to infect your message into people's brain. And then I would even say people probably believe that Geico writes homeowners insurance. Now they do through through travelers and through a few other companies. They have relationships, but Geico doesn't write homeowners insurance. Geico's renters policy that they've started to, to market is a traveler's product. So or you know, travelers is one of the companies they write through. So it's it it, it we can't own this. So what we so we have to kind of give up that and understand two main points, and then I'll let you go, Marty. Is one marketing and branding is a forever game. You don't you can run campaigns that accelerate certain aspects or focus on certain aspects of your brand, but it is a forever game. You don't just we're gonna do branding in the first quarter and then we're not gonna do it for the rest of the year. So if if you want to have any control any small ability to direct how people perceive who you are as a company it has to, it's a forever thing there's absolutely no doubt about this this goes from an agency to a producer to your receptionist to the owner of your agency to the carrier to the carrier rep this is across the board it is a forever thing every action you take is part of your brand and uh, the second piece is that you you have to give up the idea that you can actually control it. It's all perception. So, uh, Marty, I'm going to let you jump in. I, this is my soapbox one, but uh, I think that he summed it up so perfectly, and it was like it was like invigorating to hear uh, an insurance CEO say something like this, right? That that you know, you just see these, you know, we see these carriers, and they they want to we control this thing, and and we have we have more people telling us how not to move outside this box than we do people actually trying to like. To, to do the work inside it, um, this was like, wow, this, this is the reason why they're so big and why they're so successful is because uh, their leadership has this kind of mentality. So I'm going to turn uh, the question that you asked me earlier uh, back to you. So, Marty, I'm sitting out there uh, in uh, podcast listening land and I get it, but how did how does a an agency in North Florida? I don't remember if it's Smith Jones, maybe, at, or you know a, a mutual carrier in the heartland of the United States, um, small one state uh, carrier. They don't have a billion dollars in budget. Either one of them, they have fractions of that. So, how do they brand themselves? So the common misconception that people have about branding is that you're trying to brand to everyone in the world, right? I, we don't have Progressive's marketing budget, so we can't do branding. And it's like Progressive definitely has a much bigger audience than, say, a small Midwestern Mutual. But, but that small Midwestern Mutual needs to understand it, and many of them do. I'm not saying that they all don't. I'm just saying when you're thinking about this, uh, um, a Midwestern Mutual or a Northeastern Mutual, doesn't matter. They all need to look at who is their audience and... If your, if your marketing budget doesn't meet your audience, then you need to find more marketing budget and more branding budget. There's no doubt about that, right? If you want to continue to grow, if you're saying we are okay with, with sustaining where we are, and, and this, this is where I always come back to with branding and marketing because people say you have to do this, you have to do this. If you are okay being flat, being just slightly up or slightly down based on market trends, then you don't have to do marketing and branding. You don't have to. You don't have to do it, and there's no problem with that. I have no problem with you saying, you know, we have a really good client base. We write farms throughout the Midwest. We're very profitable. Our people are happy, and we just want to focus in and, and working with the clients we have and who they refer to us occasionally and doing a really good job for them. No problem. Done. You don't need to do heavy marketing and branding. You do some internal stuff. You can put a really light amount of your overall um, your overall. Uh, 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 dollars to to marketing and branding, and just make sure those people are happy. It becomes more about customer experience, um, or 
than, than actual outward branding and marketing. But if you're actually looking to grow, you have to do this. You have to. You have to know who your audience is. You have to, and then apply the funds and resources to reach those people and understand that once you start doing that, that can't, you can't bring that down. You are always going to have to go after those people to grow. You don't just grow without marketing and branding. There isn't a magic pill where you come up with a new product and people are like so enamored by that new insurance product that you created that they just take on to it. That's, that's not the way that it works. Uh, there's a reason that Geico spends $1.1 billion every year on, on marketing. It's, it's because you have to do that to grow. And Geico is in the growth business. So uh, I think that you know, it's, that's how I would answer this question is that if you're an agency, it's just at a different relative scale. Are you looking to just work inside of your town? Are you looking to own the five towns in your geographic region? Are you looking to work the entire state of California, uh, Florida, right? So if you're the Jones Smith or Smith Jones, whatever we're using as the example, um, you know, what is going to be your audience? Who's it going to be? Is it going to be a niche inside of the national scale or South, Southeast region? Or, um, you know, this is what you have to think about and understand and, and really come to grips with. And this isn't an easy thing. You may need help to do this. Um, you know, this is a little bit of the work that I used to do uh, before I c- came to, to work at trustedchoice.com. Uh, a big part of my work was helping, was helping businesses better understand who their audience was and what the message was to reach them, right? So y- you can have a, a $100 a month budget or $100,000 or $100 million. It all depends on the audience that you're trying to serve and whether or not you actually want to grow. I think a lot of people tell themselves they want to grow, but they really don't want to do the work or spend the money or apply the resources to grow. And that's not a problem that you and I can solve or help people solve. We can help people solve problems who are actually interested in growing their business. Um, and, and there are tools and resources and, and, uh, and people who can help them grow. I think the problem is that people will like to say that they want to grow, but they don't actually want to do the work to grow. I, I want to play off your uh, tools and people that can help you. Um, both TrustedChoice.com and The Big Eye are working very hard to create a brand for the independent channel. It's called the Trusted Choice brand. Okay? And so... That's a, that's a real resource for you to use. You know, McDonald's doesn't own every McDonald's across the country. Those are many, many, probably most are run by independent operators, franchisees. But they all have the golden arches out front. And whether that's your idea of fine food or not, that's not my point. My point is when you see those, you know exactly what it means. All right, so that's a branding opportunity that we're working very hard, a tool that we're working to provide for you. But the flip side of that is, and here's another soapbox, and we're going to get off it quick because we're running out of time. What message do we as the independent channel send to a consumer when we do things the old way, the slow way? We don't service them in the way that they are expecting. We aren't just poisoning ourselves. We're telling that consumer that the independent channel can't help them. And you know what? The State Farm guy can. And to me, that's a problem. So, but that gets us to our last point, which is time as a design criteria. Yeah, and, and you know, this one is, I think, just kind of plays into the whole branding idea, which is um, when you're designing your business, when you're designing your methods, you know, time is an incredibly important piece to consumers and that we need to start to consider that more. And the example that uh, Glenn gives in here is handling claims and uh, how uh, checks get to, to people quickly and, and how, we, how we do that. And I, I think it all ties into the idea that um, if your brand is customer service, yet it takes three weeks to cut a check and mail it to uh, a client uh, who just had an accident, then your brand isn't customer service. Your brand is slow. So, you know, I think what he's really saying is that uh, Progressive understands that a big part of what consumers want from carriers is the these is for things to move faster, and and that that's impacting their brand how they can how they deliver at speed. 
And, uh, and I, I completely agree. I mean, I just think yeah. logistically speaking, if, if Amazon can fly packages using drones to people's house, um, we, can, we can speed up the process of doing business inside our industry. Well, one of the one of one of the big ones, uh, you know, and I'm I'm stealing your thunder now, but it's that common response. I only do business with the people that come to my office. Okay, you want to talk about a time suck? I have a question. I want to get you know. I want to place some business. I got to do some new stuff, and you want me to drive halfway across town to meet with you? Doesn't work. Doesn't work in today's society. So. Uh, time is a deliverable. They are engineering all of their processes to make them more responsive because nothing solves the customer's problem like getting it done now. Yeah, they're happy. They're happier when we deliver the promise quickly. They're happy because they can get on with their life. There's 101 reasons. I, I, yeah, I completely agree. So um, what I'm going to do is I, I, I had this question from an agent. Uh, we've been on the call for quite a long time now. So I'm actually going to save this for episode number 10. And I actually have like three or four questions that I've been, uh, that I've pulled out. You know, we get, I get probably three or four questions a week, three, and uh, I've gotten as many as 10 in a week, but, uh, which is fine, which is fine. Keep the questions coming. Ryan.Hanley at trustedchoice.com. If you have a question, um, please don't email me and say, Ryan, give me a call and your phone number. Uh, I'm not going to call you back. That's, uh, let me know what's going on. Give me a reason. Let me know how I can help. Uh, put a little context in the email and I'll be happy to talk to you on the phone or answer your question. Um, but I've had recently people just say, Ryan, call me with a phone number and uh, I'm I'm just not going to randomly call and not know what I'm getting into. I just want to be completely honest. Uh, but, but if you have questions, tee them up. I'm happy to get on the phone with you. I got a great question uh, from Kelvin here. We're going to save it for next week uh, when we get episode number 10 out. And I'm gonna, we'll package that around a few more questions. I think that'll make a nice, cool episode. Uh, so, Marty, any, any closing thoughts here? I just want to say uh, I know we jumped up on a lot of soapboxes this week, but I think it's important. Uh, we did give a couple tools. These are things that, that we have to think about it. Uh, uh, we bang these drums quite a bit on this show, but, but they're just important core concepts to the success of our industry. Yeah, I guess I'd say, you know, the sort of the, the encapsulating thought, eyes up, head on a swivel. Love it. With that, this is uh, Ryan Hanley and Marty Agather from Agency Nation Radio. We're going to sign out. Uh, be sure to check out uh, so when this episode drops yesterday, yesterday from this episode, so I'm kind of talking in the future about the past, which is weird, uh, we'll have dropped our brand new marketing video, which talks all about our appetite engine, which is uh, our, our algorithm architects have been, have been tweaking the dials on trustedchoice.com and have come up with uh, a really, really innovative way of uh, directing commercial lines, and, and personalized to a certain extent, but it, it works really well with commercial lines. Dialing in uh, when, when insurance buyers come to our site, getting them to the right agent-carrier combo based on what they want to write. So if you want to write something, if you have something like, I love to write whatever, we, the Appetite Engine is, is dialed in and, and working really well. And uh, we have a cool new video which explains it and brings out a new character in our, in our video series. And if you want to check that out, just make sure you visit uh, agencynation.com and, uh, and you'll see the video in, in one of the recent articles and click on it and let us know what you think. And uh, if you don't have a commercial line subscription yet and you like to write commercial lines business, this is what we do. It is incredibly inexpensive. We're talking, what, a bundled package, Marty, is like 98 bucks a month? 98 yep. bucks a month. I mean, that's like a round of golf. And now you're getting qualified inbound leads and with this new uh, algorithm update that we did that we're calling the Appetite Engine, you're getting the types of leads that you want. Um, I don't mean to put a hard push on it, but I'm just excited about how, how our tool is just getting smarter and smarter. And uh, the agents that are taking advantage of it are seeing really, really great success. And uh, as a marketing guy, I love to have a new video out about it. So uh, go and check that out. Uh, I think you'll love it. Uh, we are out of here.